Indiana John, you are number one. Good morning. It's morning somewhere. How are you? Murfreesville, welcome. Dika, welcome. Welcome aboard. Hey, Barzi. Good morning, sir. Or, yeah, it is morning for you. Triple caution. Howdy, neighbor. Ed Kramer, welcome aboard. Hey, Adam, welcome aboard. Hey, Stan, you know, I'm sitting literally from my nose. It's it's uh, 27 inches to a uh, Hot Shot 360, <laughs> which I'm enjoying very much. On the way back to New Hampshire from Kansas. Wow. Hi, Ed. How are you? Well, we got a good crowd early. That uh, that bodes well. So if you guys are, are just tuning in, uh, we're going to have a guest later. Oh, you visited uh, with Tom. I'm representing today. That's awesome. Protea Machining, welcome. Chris, welcome. Golden State Innovations, welcome aboard. Fad Radcator. Now the party could start. <laughs> Welcome aboard, guys. It is a gorgeous day here. Yes. It, it is a gorgeous day here in, in the New Hampshire. Sun is shining. And uh, temperatures are coming up. Yeah, we we should talk, Stan. I have let me let me. This is for Stan. This is for Stan's uh, edification. I turn the camera around. So my hot shot is right there, and my my blue M oven is right there. And really, you know, I did. I shouldn't be. You know, I'm just. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. Uh, Darfishi, welcome. Oh, three phase. Wow. That's a lot of copper. That's very nice of you to help out. I know you know that stuff cold. Adaptable innovations. Welcome aboard. So, beautiful day in New Hampshire. Uh, as you may or may not know I have solar panels up on the roof. And Friday, I think, it was, no, I think it was Thursday. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, Thursday, we had a, uh, a record, a record day. I should say a, a, an absolutely optimal solar day. Oh yeah, Stan, I love the oven. It's, it's a, uh, you know, Nothing wrong with it. <laughs> but, you know, I'm just saying. Hey, there's Marv Grow. Welcome aboard, sir. So, uh, Marv and I communicated uh, earlier, so he's all set to uh, join us in a little bit to be our guest for today's live. Um, so, uh, yeah, getting back to last Thursday, 
we had a an optimal solar day. Yes, it is a grid tied system, no batteries, um, and we just we just traced the most magnificent perfect curve on on Thursday. They don't come that often, and that was seven, uh, basically 70 kilowatt hours um, generated. Tarsha Metalworks, welcome aboard. MKL Design, welcome aboard. Hi, guys. So, um, yeah, great solar day. Temperatures are coming up. Snow is melting. So this morning, I, I couldn't sleep last night. Uh, just ideas flying through my head. So I was up at 5.30, which I know for some of you guys is normal. For me, it is totally not normal. And I, I go to the kitchen and I'm starting making my tea. And uh, I look out the back window and I have seven deer in the backyard. And six of them were focused on the, on the bird feeder, which I, I have told my wife is not a bird feeder. It's a deer feeder. And they really like bird seed. So... We're going to have to do something about that because we've been feeding the deer and that's just not right. Um, and then uh, my wife showed me uh, two power walls. <gasps> that's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, so Stan, I looked at um, I looked at batteries in, in our system and it was not, there was no reason to do it. We don't have time of day issues with with energy usage and the costs were crazy so there's it, we're, we're purely grid tied and very happy don't get me wrong very happy with that so uh yeah so the deer were in, in the back the deer were in the front the deer were all over the place today i think they like the weather too so um give you an update on what's going on around here um things have been great some uh, interesting developments in the world of... Uh, oh, hi, Vivian. Uh, Vivian is a friend from uh, Taekwondo. Welcome aboard. So, uh, you know, we've been playing with the Formlabs resin printer, and we've been uh, making custom uh, coolant nozzles, which are on the website now. Um... I don't know what my rates are per kilowatt hour, uh, Fad Radcator. Can I get back to you on that? I'll take that as homework. Um, but I will tell you this. When you generate more power than you're using and you push onto the grid, you get credited at wholesale. You know what's coming, right? But when you use power off the grid, you pay retail. Of course. So when the sun is shining, we try to run the shop and run the run the dryer and use up, a, you know, do our electric stuff when the sun shines. So um, we we put the new Nozes, that's our trade name, the N-O-Z, the Nos, our new custom nozzles on the website. Uh, you could read about it as Nos.gg. Um, oh, there you go, Indiana John. 19 cents a kilowatt hour. Um, so I sent some out, and one of my one of my beta testers um, says uh, sends me a message, and ultimately a picture that showed he's not using quarter waves uh, 
quarter wave class um, uh, coolant line like I am, they're using half inch class, which is not unusual for bigger machines. So I've also uh, whipped up a half inch class lock line style uh, nozzle that's three, it's a, the nozzle three, it's a 3.3. So three inches wide, three inches to the focal point, and, uh, and it has a, a, a half inch. That's in beta. If I get the thumbs up from my beta testers, that'll show up on the site also. So that's starting to take off. The, the NOS line um, is pretty interesting. And it's really cool from a manufacturing standpoint because it's going from, you know, it's going right into a resin printer, printed in the resin printer, you know, cleaned up, inspected, and, and shipped out. So, <laughs> Indiana John says, I know you said coolant nozzle, but it sounded like cool whip nozzle. Whatever you want. We make, we manufacture things, whatever you like. If you want a cool whip nozzle, we could do that too. Almost machining, welcome aboard. Your package, sir, is uh, ready to ship out. Um, what's the flow rate on the quarter? So I don't know how to answer that. Um, I run it at full throttle uh, and it's perfect. It, and I use it for, for um, grinding the stones. Um, and one of my customers, one of my beta testers, who I think you already know, is uh, Adam Demuth. And Adam uh, didn't like, uh, didn't think it was enough velocity. So we made up some higher velocity units. They're not, I don't think they're available on the website yet. Uh, in fact, I, I know they're not. And I'm waiting for some feedback. I tried them, and they are higher velocity. Uh, so we have two flavors. So we could talk about that later. But there'll be there'll be choices as far as the uh, velocity coming out of the out of the nozzle. Hey, John, welcome aboard. Thanks, buddy. John stopped by and gave me stickers this morning and a gift with his his two wonderful uh, offspring, and that was really nice. Thanks. Uh, so I'm going to try to get more um, information on the website for the NOSes. I can tell you that the NOS 2.2, the sum total of the cross-sectional area of the little orifices is approximately the same as a quarter-inch hole. So there's not a lot of acceleration in, in that nozzle. Again, I find it fine with my pump. It's great. Um, yeah, I, you're wondering for your pump size. I, I totally get it. I'll tell you what, drop me an email and let's talk, okay? Um, maybe I can get you in on beta testing the difference between the stock one and the and the high velocity one. If, if you buy one, I'll send you two. How's that? Okay, fad rad cater. Don't everybody get like all whipped up. This is, this is just beta testing. <laughs> Anyway, so that's the story on nozzles. That's pretty exciting. Um, I'm, I'm having a good time. Uh, other investigations that are going on are different ways of designing them. Um, and uh, we're really enjoying it. Spencer Tool and Grind, welcome aboard. The company with the best name ever. So there you go. So nozzles are going out the door. 
uh, for the first time. That's pretty cool. Uh, and PFG stones are doing great. So PFG stones, I got yet another message about beveled PFG stones. So we've been working on this slowly. Uh, we figured out how to hold the stones for beveling. Uh, I just finished the math on, on what I need to know, what, what math I needed for programming the CNC machine to do that bevel. Sounds super simple. It's not. And I'll... T okay. Okay, Fed Red Cater. I don't... Not ready yet. Okay. No, no problem. <laughs> John says, design anomalies and you. What your NAS sizes say about your personality. You're a funny man. So, uh, yeah, so math is done. Um, and now I have to make a little spreadsheet. And the procedure is going to be uh, measure, measure the thickness of the stone, because that's one of the parameters. Measure the thickness of the stone, put it in the machine, register it at one magic point, hit the green button, and we get a bevel. And the reason it's a little complicated is we're going for maximum efficiency. So if I can get the time down, I can keep the cost down. And that's what's going on with the bevels. When I'm done, the bevel will have the exact same PFG recipe as every other uh, major surface. The only thing on the stone that won't be ground is, is the ends. And it's going to be awesome. Uh, so that it'll be a, a variant on, on the stone where you select that you want a bevel. And it'll be one one edge beveled. Um, details to follow. So just stay tuned. You don't have to let me know you're waiting for a beveled stone because I got like a lot of guys waiting for a beveled stone. But just stay tuned and we'll keep you posted on, on beveled stones. So that was the second thing cooking in the shop. Um, what else? Uh, I think I think those are the major those are the major things. Uh, it's been it's been a busy couple of weeks, and uh, everything's been going great. A little update on the uh, coolant system for the Okamoto grinder. Hi, CNC welder. Um, that's been awesome. So you're you're familiar with the. Um, I will show you. You're familiar with the. Uh, continuous filter system uh, and coolant tank combination for the grinder. And you can see all the, uh, all the refuse coming out there, all the NFG. Uh, that's been working super good. Uh, and also we have, um, we have a five micron filter. It's an, it's an 18 inch, uh, I wanna say five inch diameter filter. And we just used up our first one. It took seven months uh, in a, with a five micron filter. Uh, so we just changed it out. And that worked out great. And I posted about that. The manual machinist, welcome aboard. Obsidian tools, welcome. Obsidian is very important, by the way, if you're killing a dragon. I just want to point that out. Um, 
So before we bring in Marv Grow, which will be in a few minutes, um, and I will check with you, Marv Grow, before I... I uh, actually, let me just check with you now. Are you with us? Are you, are you uh, paying attention? <laughs> so Marv Grow, you can send me the request to join the live, which should be... It's the little camera symbol with a plus sign on the bottom of your, your screen. Um, okay, yeah, just hit that button saying you request to be part of the live, and we'll, we'll hit it. We'll bring it in a few minutes, okay? It won't do anything immediately. It, I have to approve it. Little, little thing. There we go. Okay, perfect. Perfect. So while, while we're waiting for me to run out of things to say so we can bring Marv in, if you have a question for Marv or me, doesn't matter, use the question button at the bottom, okay? Um, if you have a question for Marv and you don't have the question button at the bottom of your screen, hold on to it until we start to get rolling because I'm afraid it might, it might roll off the screen. Uh, let's see. I don't know. I may be running out of things, but if, if anybody has any questions for me, how's the PhD doing? I just brought him in. What do you mean? Here, here he is. How's the PhD doing? You know, P PhD stands for piled higher and deeper. And I respect that. I respect that. <laughs> anyway, uh, are there? If you guys have any questions for me on on mundane things, let it rip. And we'll bring Marv in in a few minutes. I'm going to get a sip of tea. Mr. Blodgett, welcome aboard. We here in southern New Hampshire are quite ready to get rid of uh, this white stuff that is surrounding us. A couple of days of, of 60 degrees and we'll be there. Hey, man. Okay, uh, without further ado, I think we're going to bring Marv in um, and uh, welcome him aboard. As, as you may or may not know, well, I'll let him introduce himself because, uh, you know, I'm that kind of guy. Here we, here, you ready, Marv? Tell me you're ready. I'm going to push the button. But you got to tell me you're ready. Lag. Latency. I got to make sure Marv didn't like, you know, head off to the, the men's room. Oh, yeah. Okay, here we go. Give it a minute. There he is. Hey, welcome aboard, man. Hey, good evening. How are you? It's not evening. Oh, it, it totally is evening. <laughs> At least in Germany it is. In Germany it's evening, and I respect that. It's 18 Zulu right now, right? So it's almost uh, dinner. 19, actually, yes. Um, oh. So already shortly after dinner. Wow, that's totally fine. Are we at night? Oh, oh, 19, because... Yeah, I mean, daylight that saving time, I think. Um, I, ah. Uh, Maybe uh, I've been getting that wrong. Yeah. Um, how are you doing? We're doing great here. Um, having fun. I'm a bit jealous of the snow. Europe is having like the worst winter ever, not only politics, but also in terms of snow here. Yeah. Uh, I, w I was skiing this morning 
um, right. needed, needed a break from um, the PhD writing and it's just, it's depressing. You look out and everything's like brown and there's only the slopes left. And I mean, it's the beginning of March. There should be three, four meters. Yeah. So can you, um, can you tell us what your, what your thesis topic is? Yes, I can. Um, uh, the topic is called Experimental Investigation of a Ductile Cutting Regime with Geometric Defined Cutting Edge in Sintered Technical Ceramics. And yes, that is a mouthful. It's really that is, um, that, You need an acronym now. Yeah, definitely. Um, I tried calling it uh, CAM Ceramic Competence, which would be three Ks, but Not the rest good. of Curran didn't think it was funny. Not so a good I was idea. Not to do that. No. Yeah. No, that was a good try, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Now, it's, it's going well. Um, coming back to Obsidian Tools question, it's going well. Um, I'm in the last four weeks, and I'm just starting to feel the pressure. My professor, he didn't tell me last year when I applied uh, for a PhD with him, he didn't tell me that he's going into retirement this year. So I thought I had like three, four years time. And now I basically need to finish by this summer. So, um, yeah, it's fun. I don't know how I could possibly help you, but if I could help you, let me know. <laughs> Thanks. It's appreciated. But this is just something I have to suffer through myself. And it's, it's, it's been pretty cool. Um, in the beginning, I mean, I've, I've basically started writing my PhD thesis immediately last year uh, once I registered with the university. And I'm just writing it in my free time. So besides my day job, and in the beginning, it was kind of hard because the really difficult thing is if you're writing a bachelor thesis or a master thesis, you can get away with a lot of stuff. But on the PhD thesis, well, you have to defend it and they're going to look for every inch you didn't cover. And I spent the majority of last year just like filling the gaps in my research. Um, but at the beginning, what I wrote, like the first chapter I wrote back in May, it, it was just really bad. <laughs> and I had this uh, moment at the beginning of January this year, um, I told my good friend Josh from Hacker Watches Sydney, I told him like today I deleted 30 pages and I seriously deleted 30 pages and wrote them anew because it just didn't fit the narrative anymore. I wanted to have like a red herring you could follow all through the um, thesis and now it's getting to be that point and it's starting to make fun and a lot of fun. So that's really cool. Excellent. I, I, I'm looking forward to reading it actually. You, oh, it's going to be in German. Ooh. Okay. Uh, but it's, it's never too late to learn German. So. <laughs> well, I'll, if you send it to me electronically, I'll attempt to, yeah. uh, I'll attempt to translate it with uh, Google Translate. It should translate uh, pretty well. So I think that's definitely something we can do. Usually I just look at the pictures anyway. So. Yeah. Well, welcome aboard. So uh, we have a whole bunch of people uh, popping in. Uh, some questions. Obsidian says, how do the mechanics in ductile machining with PCD tools compare to the mechanics when grinding? That's a great question. That's a really good question, yes. And basically the secret of, um, and I'm clicking in the background because I'm fetching some graphics for this, but um, basically um, what everything comes down to, and I'm going to quickly turn my camera so I can show my screen, um, what that's a little bit large. What everything comes down to, and ignore the German words, is usually when you do milling or anything, you have the situation on the left side. So your cutting edge has some 
positive ge geomet geometry. So this means um, the rake angle here, it's the creek letter gamma up uh, there. Um, you're basically like, I always, uh, when I try to explain it to our salespeople and fail very badly in this, I, <laughs> I try to have the metaphor of a spoon going through um, ice cream. That's basically the situation when you're doing real milling with any tool in soft or hard metals. But this is not something you can do on brittle materials. And in brittle materials, what happens is you're actually cutting a chip thickness. So this is your chip um, below the cutting edge radius. In, and this gives you an instantaneous negative rake angle. And the difference, coming back to your question, between a grinding tool and a PCD milling tool is the grinding tool always, no matter what grinding tool you have, you have a negative rake angle because your grinding crit kinder, the abrasive crit kinder is very, very shallow in its contour. It's not sharp and it's definitely not like a spoon moving through it. And the tools you're using, if you're using real PCD tools, for example, the 6C tools, but there's also other companies making some in Switzerland, Dixie Poly tools, in Germany, DTS. And I'm very sure there's plenty of American manufacturers. You can, for example, get from Canada, KNY has tools that can do this. Um, Chardon Diamonds in America has it. And all of these tools, they usually have a positive edge geometry. So you could actually cut with them. But the way we are using it for the ductile cutting regime is below the edge radius. So it's an instantaneous negative rake. Very interesting. I like I like your term instantaneous rake angle. Yeah. Well, oh, um, sorry. I think we answered that question pretty well. Here's another one: Is Macor M A C O R yes in the category that is possible to cut this way? And I would like to add to that question: Would you please define Macor? Okay. Um, Maker is a class ceramic. So it's very similar to what you have if you have an inductive cooking field at home, um, from a chemical point of view at least. And it's used in a lot of precision parts because it has very, very high isotrope behavior, um, very low heat expansion, and the Young's model loss is also very good on this one. So it's a fantastic engineering material for precision engineering applications. I'm pretty sure that, for example, on Heidenhain linear scales, um, a lot of micro parts get used um, for that reason. And in general, every material shows some ductile behavior. And the physical reason behind this is enormously complicated. And a while back, I tried explaining it on a podcast. And during explaining it, I kind of noticed like, okay, I should first talk an hour about physics for this. But it's <laughs> fun. Um, basically, and I'm going to try to explain it in very simple terms here. So something might get lost. But yeah, I'm going to try. And this is not because I think all of you are stupid, just because this is so mind-boggling even now to me. Um, if you look at any regular material, so let's say a metal, some ceramics, but nothing that is amorphous. So you're not looking at glass. You're looking at something that has a very regular um, structure, a crystallographic structure. You have the atoms. And the atoms are kind of sitting like ordered next to each other. And usually what defines a metal is that the first property of a metal is that the electrons that are flying around this atom, they can move. Um, physics talk about an electron gas existing inside that solid state body. And when you have ceramics or you have semiconductors or you have something like Marco or a glass ceramic, 
you usually have um, no conductivity. Most ceramics are really good insulators. That's why we use them for insulators. Um, so you don't get that electron mobility, but you also don't get any dislocation mobility. Dislocation is basically a missing atom in that crystallographic structure. And what we are doing when we are doing ductile cutting regime, and don't worry, I'm leading back to Marco now, um, is we are smashing the material together so hard because we have that negative rake angle and that negative rake angle is just pushing a lot of pressure onto the material, um, a lot of hydrostatic pressure and also a lot of shear rate, which is really interesting when you consider milling instead of turning that stuff. And what happens is the atoms move closer together and the atomic orbitals, which are the electrons flying around, they overlap. And you get for a very, very short amount of time you get conductivity and not only electron conductivity, but you also get mobility of dislocations. Coming back to Markor, um, yes, you can cut Markor in a ductile cutting regime. We've done it before. Um, Markor has one very, very bad um, property and that is that it's a very good heat insulator because a lot of ceramics are actually really good conduct conductors for heat. So for example, silicon carbide, which most people know as an abrasive crit on grinding wheels, has nearly the same heat conductivity as aluminum. Marco instead is a class ceramic and a really good insulator. So you have to be very careful with the tools. Um, they tend to burn up very quickly because they get very warm, but it's possible to achieve a ductile cutting regime there. Um, there's, I don't think there's any material you can't reach it. Marv, are you using coolants when you're doing that? Or, or you yes, not? yes, definitely. Um, I'm always um, using coolant when milling ceramics. I do not use coolant when I'm milling carbide. And the reason behind this is it comes down to thermoshock. The cobalt, the metal binder in carbide, um, it makes the cut so hot that it's basically impossible to cut this with coolant. But in ceramics, it's always a good idea to use coolant. I have had some contact with a 6C Tools customer um, who wanted to mill Marco, but didn't have flood coolant. So he only had MQL and he used an oil-based MQL and they actually worked decently for the parts he wanted to do. So MQL is also a possibility dry with compressed air doesn't work. So uh, I have to tell you, this is the second time I've heard your explanation. And because when we had dinner together, you, 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 in a noisy restaurant, you, you did the same thing. And it really, it really paints a good picture and is fascinating. It's fantastic that the mechanical pressure, the, the, the instantaneous mechanical pressure can basically make it, make it a metal. Um, I think at that point I should show a picture highlighting the difference. So what you can see now on the screen is a picture of silicon chips. So this is monocrystalline silicate, silicon and it's actually semiconductor grade. And on the upper part, you can see what the grinding depress looks like. Both pictures are the same magnification. And this is typical of what you expect of a brittle material. You're just tearing out chunks because your abrasive grit, for example, diamond is harder. And on the lower part, you can see real chips. These are silicon chips and they have been formed through this process. So that's really cool, I think. That is pretty neat. That is pretty neat. We have another question for you. Obsidian yes. Tools asks, can you talk a little about the big polished block, which was processed with the PCD ball by dragging it over the surface? 
Okay, yes. Um, that one That one is a fun Instagram story. Um, or actually not only Instagram story. Okay, I, I, I have to go on a small detour here because it's just too fun and I always like to um, tell what a nice company we are. So I got asked to hold a seminar at an ultra precision manufacturing conference. I was a little bit stumped because usually um, ultra-precision is not what we are doing. Kern is a very well-known high-precision manufacturer, but ultra-precision is basically when you're thinking about nanometers. And that's not something we do usually. We think about microns and fractions of microns. And I decided to show something we've been working on for quite some time, which is called diamond scribing. It basically means you take a cutting edge, you orient that cutting edge, and then you just drag it along the surface without turning the tool. So basically, you could call it um, turning with a linear movement. In the US, you still have a lot of shaping machines. Right. So it's similar to this one, but we are using a diamond for it. And the fun thing coming back to that conference is um, once the program was finalized, I saw that I wanted to show a head-up display mold made with this technology. And the presentation before me was from Fanuc um, with the RoboNano. And RoboNano is an ultra-precision machine, which was designed to make head-up displays. So I was trying to compete with an inferior machine in terms of precision, with a machine built specifically for that application. I was like, okay, I cannot do this. And this was like Friday and on Monday I had the talk. Um, but something most UPM, so ultra-precision machines are very bad at, are um, heavy, heavy work pieces because the machines themselves, they are not stiff. They kind of move like gummy. They are very, very low on the tension and everything and they have air bearing surfaces. So usually they cannot take a heavy work piece. So I looked in our um, basement and found the largest chunk of aluminum and decided, okay, let's make a, we call it shiny spark out of it. And it actually worked pretty well over the weekend. And that shiny spark is not as pretty as it looks on Instagram, the compression, swallows a lot, especially the top surface, which was the first one I made. There is quite a ton of uh, cam errors in it, like linearization error too large and everything. The sides are looking decently. And the process this is working is we take a monocrystalline. So it's not a polycrystalline tool. We take a monocrystalline tool. We orient that one in our laser with bloom laser in the machine. And that one has an analog readout. So we can basically see the shadowing of the laser and this makes it pretty easy to adjust the cutting edge so it's completely perpendicular. And then you just drag it across the surface. And the cool thing is you're not limited anymore with feet per tooth because there is no feet per tooth. So um, usually when you're diamond milling and we have quite fast spindles. So on our normal HSK 40 spindle, um, we have 42,000 RPM and then you would move at 500 to 1000 millimeters per minute. So that's a pretty slow movement. That's like this. And inscribing, because you don't have that um, feet per tooth limitation, you can just go as quickly as you want. Because I mean, turning with diamond, you can easily go hundreds of meters of cutting speed. And our machine kind of is very well suited to moving fast and still having good surface quality. So that shiny spark, hey, cam precision, um, that shiny spark is actually milled with over 10 meters per minute feed rate, which makes it 10 times quicker than we would enable it in milling and you have less roughness as well. So that's a pretty cool project. And well, I got to show off to Fanuc that we can actually rough apart. So the first slide of my presentation was like, you only need one machine and we can actually cut metal and not just make it shiny. So that was cool as well. That's awesome. Yeah, those parts uh, were pretty impressive. Uh, 
I also saw when we had dinner, um, you showed that little puck that I think yes. was, that was silicon carbide, was it not? That was silicon carbide, exactly. And that part had milling and threading and all sorts of uh, really fantastic processes in silicon carbide. Yes. Uh, um, unlike when we were having dinner, I have my computer with me so I can show a couple of pictures as well of everything behind it. And what's really cool is this is the surface on the puck. And this is usually what it looks like when you're grinding silicon carbide. This is already quite the high magnification, 4,400 times under the scanning electron microscope. And you can see there's a lot of small pittings going on. This is basically where the corns break out. And then you look at our process, which is this slide. And this is exactly the same magnification. It's the same blank of material. It's just that because we are milling in a ductile cutting regime, the process of making the chips is actually different. It's not just tearing out a chunk, but it's actually cutting through the individual cranes. And obviously there are some limitations. So you can see there's some pitting going on here. And the rule of thumb usually is um, if the individual crane is stuck less than 10% in the material, it gets torn out even with our um, technology. But in the end, it still comes down to a much higher surface quality. So the surface quality of the crowned one, and this was crowned by experts and not by me because I'm really bad at grinding, um, was an RA of 0.3. And on the right side, the ductile milled one is an RA of 0.05. So that's six times better. And we actually introduce a lot less damages into the material as well. So on the crown surfaces, and this is very much, Simon, I saw your question. I will answer in a moment. Um, on our, um, so in my PhD thesis, I had to do a lot of material analytics as well. And we did, for example, uh, Raman laser spectroscopy, which is basically, basically exciting the material with a laser and then looking at the reflectancy and spectrum. And it's pretty cool because on the crowned parts, you can actually, you can calculate the internal stress of the material. And that internal stress is actually the, not the hardness, but the, missing the English word, um, basically the breakage elongation stress, the stress, the maximum stress that silicon carbide can actually suffer. So the reason you have so much pitting on the left side and you also have tons of micro cracks is this is the ceramic toughening mechanism. The ceramic, because you have, you're loading it so much mechanically when you're grinding it, it's actually toughening itself by introducing cracks. And in ductile milling, you do not introduce those cracks and you do not have any ceramics toughening. So your material is unplemished afterwards. Now, the fun thing is, and this is a question for you all because I still don't have an answer, if you look at the energy density during the cut, so I'm not talking the energy going into the spindle, but I'm recording the energy um, with acoustic emission. And then I calculate a power spectral density. The energy in a ductile cutting regime is higher than in a uh, non-ductile cutting regime. And that's really fascinating. Yes, Indiana Jones, tensile strength. That was what I was looking for as a word. And we have another question that just came in from Simon. Perthy, when milling carbide on a kern, is there a risk of carbide going into the bearings in hydrostatic ways? Mm -hmm. um, well, we've built quite a few machine time, uh, types in the last 40 years. The ones you can currently buy are safe. Um, I have no idea about the 30-year-old ones, but um, for example, in a pyramid nano or in a micro, we actually evaluated that one. 
So when we started our ceramics project, I got a project machine. And after one year of only milling ceramics, we took it completely apart, swiped all the guideways and looked at the residue under the scanning electron microscope. And we did not find any ceramic residue. So carbide and ceramics are pretty safe on that machine. Also, the hydrostatic oil gets filtered down to one micron and the gap size is higher. So it's actually having a hydrostatic machine. And I guess that's one other reason why they are so common in high quality grinding machines is just because you always flushed out um, the guideways, you're in a pretty safe spot. Excellent. That's, that's impressive that under that scrutiny, you found, you found nothing. Yeah. Pretty neat. Uh, Steel Phil says something that I think you don't need to answer because you answered it already. What do you know yeah, about all the Marco people? For me, for <laughs> the answer is a lot. Uh, we talked about that uh, in a little bit. Let's see what else we got here. What are your Obsidian says? What are your thoughts about spindles with ultrasonic actuators for ceramic machining? Okay, there's basically two ways you can do ultrasonic. Um, one is the one-dimensional ultrasonic. Um, that is actually getting done about 50 miles away from me. The company DMG um, produces machines with it. I'm not going to say anything more about that company because I'm a nice person. Um, I think <laughs> 1D ultrasonic is shit. I think it makes... Sorry. Uh, okay, on the internet. I think it makes no sense at all. Um, it's basically um, like using a jackhammer. Yes, you get more material removal, but the way you get the material removal is just by putting extra energy into it. And to be honest, there's fantastic grinding bits out there. So um, I can tell you a couple of companies making grinding bits which are so abrasive that you can just compete with ultrasonic spindles. But if you want to achieve high quality, if you want unblemished parts, 1D ultrasonic is actually very bad for your part because you're hammering away at it and introducing micro cracks. And I'm really surprised people buy parts of those machines. The majority of people I know with ultrasonic machines, 1D ultrasonic, um, they tell me it's either a placebo, so it's nice for the operator. He has a very tough material, then he turns on ultrasonic and everything is okay. Um, <laughs> or they just never use it and wish they had a larger tool magazine. There is a second type of ultrasonic, which is very awesome. And that one is called 2D elliptical ultrasonic. Basically, you're not exciting the tool or the workpiece just in one direction, but you're making a elliptical movement. So you have two-dimensional excitation. And if you tune this one very well, and there is a couple of companies who produce something like this, um, LT Ultra and Inolite are two, um, you have very high frequency, about 70,000 hertz. And then the contact time between the tool and the workpiece is so short that you are under the diffusion constant for the individual atoms. That means you have no chemical wear. And diamond tool wear is actually 99% of it is um, chemical. You do not have any abrasive tool wear on diamonds, in my opinion. It's just chemical. So if you have 2D ultrasonic on a machine, um, you can do better milling in ductile mode on ceramics, but you can also mill stuff um, that you couldn't mill with diamonds. So it's used in diamond turning of steel, which is enabled through that technology. So 2D ultrasonic, cool. 1D ultrasonic, I wouldn't get it. So you're using diamond tools on steel with, with the elliptical ultrasonic. And is that um, eliminating the usual problems with uh, diamond diffusion on steel? 
Exactly. Yes. The contact time between tool and um, workpiece is so short, you cannot have any diffusion. That's fantastic. There is a limit to this. Um, if you move your tool too quickly, so if your feed rate is too high or your cutting speed, then basically it's always in the material. Usually the movement it does is basically this ellipse going into the material and lifting off. Now imagine you're moving so quickly forward that on the backward draw, it's still in the material. Well, then it doesn't work anymore. Gotcha. Uh, Matal Engineering says, what are the factors to reach the ductal regime in Macor? Everybody likes Macor. Uh, I have no idea what it is about Macor. <laughs> will, will regular machines be able to do it? Okay. Um, so usually most materials have a brittle to ductile transition of a couple of nanometers. So you're between 10 and 100 nanometers usually. Some go a little bit lower, some go a little bit higher. Um, Markor is on the higher end, but it's still 80 nanometers. If your machine is able to take a constant 80 nanometer pass, yes, your machine can do it, but there's not a lot that can. There you go. Excellent answer. Let's see. Um, we might be caught up. I think we're caught up. So, uh, oh, no, there was one question I missed. Uh, did you get to, this is uh, Cody, uh, Cody Gibbs, uh, said, uh, Cody Gibson says, did you get to spec that project machine? Are there options you would have wanted in hindsight? Mm -hmm. um, usually I get pretty large input on our, all of our machines um, we make for our applications department. And I basically spec that one out. The only thing it didn't have was a fourth and fifth axis. <laughs> so we are only building five axis machines and one of the only three ever built, which are not, I got one as a project machine. So no, um, usually for ceramics, I tell people to get something to clean up the coolant better. So usually we have those paper band filters, which filter down to 20 microns. I don't think that's enough. There yeah. is a centrifugal option, which is, in my opinion, the most important part for that machine. Other than that, it's still a current, it's still a universal machine. So we also have customers who mill um, ceramics in the morning and aluminum at night, and it still works out. <laughs> ceramics in the morning and aluminum at night. I played for that band. So, <laughs> excellent. Okay, you guys are doing awesome, uh, but we can't let Marv off the hook so quick. So if you have any other questions, put them in the... Okay. While you guys come up with questions, I'm going to show something else because I've got a little bit of pictures. This is a brand new grinding bit. It's a metal bound grinding bit actually produced by the company Zecha. And you can really see the crits beautifully under the SEM and you can see most of them have a negative rake. And this is the exact same grinding bit after 10 hours. And it's a diamond grinding bit. And I don't know about you, but I've never seen a binding which is so tough that you can actually wear down the diamonds before they tear out. Wow, that's impressive. Now, is that where uh, you think that's a chemical process or a mechanical process? Yeah. Um, I think science is not completely sure on that one yet. But if you look at diamond and how hard it is, Diamond has, well, okay, it's a definition question, but diamond has 10,000 HV hardness, hardness vigors, which is like the hardest material by definition. And most ceramics, so for example, zirconia, it's around 1,200, silicon carbide around two and a half thousand, alumina can get up to 3,000. Boron carbide, cubic boron carbide is about four and a half thousand. 
So everything is much softer than um, the diamond. So why should there be abrasive wear? But at the same time, um, a very good check to whether you can actually mill something with diamond or grind it with diamond is just check whether there is a chemical compound easily available at room temperature with this. So with iron, for example, steel, well, you have FEC, which is steel. Um, obviously, this doesn't work. And if, for example, you wanted to try cutting pure tungsten with it, well, there's tungsten carbide, which is our carbide cutting material, which also exists. And well, there's silicon carbide and silicon carbide always has small amounts of just silicon in it, amorphous. So I think the majority of diamond toolware is just chemical and thermal. Because if your grinding bit gets above 700 degrees, the diamond just goes puff to carbon. So, uh, so I would, I would think that the, the coolants used during diamond operations are critical. Yes, definitely. Um, something I always wanted to try was like super cooling down the coolant. Um, I think there could be a lot of potential in this one, but um, we are getting a machine with a CO2, supercritical CO2 coolant in late this year into the applications department. And this is a spoiler, so I'm really excited about this one. Um, but um, yeah, so far, the main issue is no matter whether you're using the Celsius or the Fahrenheit scale, going from like room temperature to freezing feels like, oh, that's a huge step. That's like 20, 30 degrees. But well, in terms of chemical processes, you just have to look at the absolute temperature scale and going 20 degrees down when it's actually 290 degrees um, Kelvin, it makes no difference. So just chilling down your oil 10, 20, 30 degrees will feel really bad, um, but yeah, it's not gonna work out. So it's, something like CO2 or LN2 will be the solution. for. Yeah, I was gonna, gonna bring up LN2 as a possibility. Is there any way to, to, to spray that without yeah. blowing well, something up? <laughs> no, nah, nah, I mean, it's totally inert. So you're not blowing anything up with LN2. I mean, it's nitrogen. That's one of the most inert. Blowing things up. I mean, if you have a spray nozzle spraying oh, okay. liquid nitrogen, yeah. that spray nozzle better be able to handle the cold. Yeah, and I mean, this is something we've been trying to avoid. People ask us from time to time. And it's just like we make take so much effort in making the temperature of our machine perfect that it is mind-boggling that someone wants to pour minus 200 degree cold <laughs> stuff into the machine. It's just like, why? <laughs> right. All right, we have, um, we have a bunch of questions that popped in. Uh, Fad Radcator says, what machine technology are you most excited about? Okay, um, laser-assisted machining. So I think lasers are pretty boring. Like when you, when you look at a cool milling machine and it's slinging hot chips and everything smells like hot metal, that's really cool. And if you have a laser ablation machine, you don't see anything happening and it smells a little bit burnt. But there is a way to combine the two. And it's actually that you can locally preheat the area around your tool with lasers. And it's called laser-assisted machining. There is an American company having a patent on it if you send it through the tool, which is really awesome. You can send it through a monocrystalline diamond. So it's just at the cutting tip. There's also a lot of um, effects uh, when you just take a couple of blue laser diodes and arrange them around the tool and uh, send them through the middle around the tool. 
And then very, very tough materials, because they get a little bit warmer, get easier to make. And that's pretty cool technology and something I would love to try out. At the same time, playing with high power lasers, um, workplace safety doesn't allow that. So, <laughs> Well, safe isn't always as much fun. Uh, let's see. Are there future, this is Cody Gibson, are, are there any future uses or applications of ceramics you can see coming from your research? Possibilities okay. being locked? Question mark. Yeah. Um, I think this is something that is happening right now. There may um, be to talk about, so. No, 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 no. I can, talk, I can talk about what is happening. And the problem is for the last 20 years, finishing ceramics in a mechanical way was basically grinding and then lapping them to a high quality finish. And once you start with lapping or with honing, you're limited in your geometry. This is the reason why the phone cases you can buy from ceramics nowadays from Samsung, why they are basically a flat chunk of ceramics. Well, it's easy to manufacture them. And now you have a technology which is, I wouldn't exactly call it affordable because you need a very, very expensive German precision machine and you need high quality diamond tooling. But at the same time, you can make a shape which two years ago would have cost 10 or 20 times this because someone would have had to polish it by hand. So I can see watch cases being really made from ceramics, not just injection molded and polished, but like milled from plank stock. Um, I can see a revolution at one point coming to the dental market. Imagine you're going for a teeth replacement and instead of waiting two weeks for your teeth to arrive, they could actually mill it in like 10 minutes while you're still sitting on the chair and you go home with full teeth. That would be kind of cool. And also I think those ceramic materials and the way we can now work them will lend themselves to um, machine building. So something we have considered and it's too expensive at the moment still, but it's for example, making one axis of our machine from silicon carbide because the thermal expansion is much lower than aluminum, but the heat conductivity is the same. So we could actually make a much more precise um, axis from this one. So that would be a cool application. And I think it, you could actually pay for that. If you really wanted to do this, you could pay for it at the moment. Uh, I would love to see a silicon carbide Cairn 5 axis. Well, um, the Zeiss Xenos, which is the... Yeah. most uh, precise production environment, um, CMM, they actually have structural parts from silicon carbide. And wow. most ASML um, machines are also built from both corderite, which is a technical ceramic and silicon carbide parts. So it has already arrived, but just at a level where you are not have, where you do not have to be load bearing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the timing here is perfect. We're, we're coming up to the top of the hour. And uh, one, of our, uh, one of our participants, uh, Ed Kramer, who, as you know, is a very serious, uh, very focused machinist. And um, uh, when he asks a question, I take it extremely seriously. So here it is from Ed Kramer. He says, when are you starting your Karen made chef's knife product line? Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's a very valid question um, because Eddie knows quite a few of my private interests and projects, and I've been very silent about those. I think the next product development starts after I finish my PhD thesis before I don't have any nerves left for that. Okay. <laughs> I want one of those chef's knives. Um, 
where uh, one of our last questions, how do you achieve such accuracy for ductal machining, 80 nanometers, on a milling machine? Sounds almost impossible to achieve when I just think the temperature fluctuations from the cutting action. Okay. Um, it's a very valid question. Well, first off, you need a very, very high precision German milling machine. I can tell you our salespeople's phone number um, if you want. Now, um, basically, it comes down to what we are already doing with our machine. So I don't want to imply that you can reach 80 nanometers precision on that machine. But repeatability on a current micro HD is crazy good. And then I don't really need to reach 80 nanometers because you need 80 nanometers if you are turning. If you are milling, there is a phenomena called chip thinning. And in chip thinning, and let, I have everything prepared. Um, in chip thinning, basically what you have, and again, you have to ignore the German language behind it. But if you look at your chip, and here the chip is in a larger view, you always have your feet per tooth, which is usually what you calculate your chip load on. But there is a part where the chip always gets thinner. This is just natural. It's when you're climb milling, chip starts big and gets thinner. And if you start basing your cutting data, not on the feet per tooth, which in my opinion is actually a very, very bad measurement for chip load, but you base it on your median chip thickness, then um, you easily approach nanometric cutting conditions. And I say easily on a current. Um, we've tried it out on a funnel cobotril because 6C tools has one. And it's possible to achieve that um, cutting state. At the same time, your chip is so thin that the tool is, if you're leaving that realm, so for example, your median chip thickness becomes too large because there was too much stock left or there was too little stock left and it becomes too thin and the tool is only rubbing, your $800 diamond tool just burns away in a couple of seconds. So yes, a lower quality machine can achieve it. And I would say the machine precision should be somewhere sub-micron. So 500 nanometers, um, repeatability between the semi-finishing and the finishing pass should be something your machine should be aiming for. And that's not a lot of machines on the planet right now. Excellent. Last question, because we're at the top of the hour, uh, also from Ed Kramer. This one is more serious. How do you like the new micro CMM? Who I have to check where the Puka Alicona is hanging around here in the live video. Now, I can, I can give you my... Uh, preliminary uh, impression of this one. So the micro CMM for those who don't know what I'm talking about. Um, we got a new coordinate measurement machine at Kern last week. It's an optical one and it has something called vertical focus probing. And this basically means you can look at a straight wall from above. So the light is coming from above and you can still measure the whole wall, which is mind blowing technology. Um, we got that one last week installed. Very, very cool installation technician who answered all of my questions and I pushed him really hard, perfectly well. So huge kudos on Lugas for that one. Um, the data at the moment looks too good for me. I know optical measurements and usually they look like a hedgehog. So you have lots of outliers out of the surface you're scanning. And on that machine, it just looks perfect. It's just like, it's like you're looking at a step model. And to me, as someone who has spent a lot of time with optical characterization, this looks really weird that it's like perfect. Um, at the same time, they explain the algorithms behind it. And because it's focus variation, they need to do a lot of pixel binning, which obviously reduces outliers. And then, well, the cool thing about optical measurements is you're not taking one single point like you would with a tactile probe. You're taking 
3 million points at one point. And if you average this out, you get a very, very high precision. Um, so I'm not saying it's not possible, but at the moment, every time I look at the data I collect, I'm like, wow, this looks fake. It, Which it, probably is just my impression. Is it like uh, they have some filtering on that you haven't found the off switch for? You cannot turn it off. Um, it's basically the pixel binning. So when they take four or eight or 16 pixels and combine it, that's um, yeah. but it looks weird to me. So at the moment, I would say the results look too good and they really look good. So next week, I will post a couple of um, shots we're taking with that machine. And it's really cool. That is awesome. Well, Marv, thank you for joining us today. That, that was... Thank you for having me. Yeah, we I sure I sure appreciate it. We this has turned into sort of just a fun once a Sunday thing. I'll get my I'll get my Zulu recalibrated um, for next week. Thank you. <laughs> Probably next week we are going out of uh, daylight saving time, and then um, your calibration is good again. Well, I'll check the temperature of the calibration uh, standards. Uh, I think that might be the problem. Don't hold them too long in your hand. That's yeah. always a bad idea. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Marv. Uh, I appreciate you. And uh, Laney Machine Tech says thanks. And uh, a bunch of other people say thanks. So maybe we'll catch you down the, down the road. And let me know if okay. I can help you with anything. Like, you know, flat stones. <laughs> All right. Bye. I will. Bye-bye. Right. You take care. So I'll let you click off and uh, if, if we figure out how to do that. Excellent. So that was a lot of fun. Thank you, everybody, for showing up. We, um, we do this every Sunday at uh, 1300 Eastern Time in the United States. I thought it was 18 Zulu, but I will check and uh, correct myself if that was wrong. Um, if you joined us in the middle, my name is Spencer Webb. I'm with Kinetic Precision. Uh, I make precision ground flat stones. You can learn more at pfg.gg. Uh, and if you get up, if you work your way up the menu into the product, uh, stuff, you'll see there's other, other things we're working on. Balancing rings have been out for a while and, uh, custom coolant nozzles or, or specialty coolant nozzles is something that's happening right now. So have a great weekend, everybody. And you, yes, uh, you can all exit at the back. Please watch your step and make sure you have all your belongings with you. And with that, have an awesome weekend.